invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Mark. Mark chapter 7 as we continue our life-changing look at Jesus. Mark chapter 7 is where we find the next chronological event that's recorded for us regarding Jesus. And we're going to find him. He's still in his hometown of Capernaum. This time he is interacting not with the crowd, not with his disciples, but with some men called scribes and Pharisees. Let's check out this conversation. It is in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, I'm sorry, and yeah, that's right, verse 4, and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. That's far enough for this morning. These scribes and Pharisees, they have a problem with Jesus. Some of Jesus' disciples are breaking their rules, and they want to know why. So they question Jesus about it. And what's his response? He says, you hypocrites. And then he confronts them with scripture. Interesting. We haven't seen much of this kind of behavior out of Jesus up to this point in our life-changing look at his life. What's changed? I mean, what happened to the guy that was saying, a bruised reed I will not break. I'm gentle and lowly at heart. Come to me, all you who are weary. Hypocrites. Let's take a little bit of a closer look at this passage. We need to do a little bit of preliminary work. We're going to work through the first four verses here. But while we, work through, while we work through these first four verses, we are going to answer the question, who are these scribes, who are these Pharisees, and what is the tradition of the elders? So those are the f- first three things we're going to hang our hat on this morning, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the tradition of the elders. Look back at verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes, would come from Jerusalem. 
These guys, the scribes and the Pharisees, they walked 90 miles to check out Jesus. That's a 180-mile round trip. That's a lot of walking. Why? To try to shut him down. They're worried about this guy. He's getting way too popular. Jesus is undermining their authority. He contradicts them. And they're growing envious. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the conservative religious leaders of their day. And Jesus isn't following their lead. Now, the scribes, to start with the scribes, they are Bible experts. And when I use the term Bible in the sermon, I'm generally referring to the Old Testament, that which had been revealed up to this point in history. The scribes were Bible experts, especially when it came to what we call the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These guys knew the Bible. They taught the Bible. And they applied the Bible so that the masses, people like you and me, would do what the Bible says. And even though they're experts on the Bible, they fail to see that the very Bible they studied was pointing to Jesus, the very man who was standing right in front of them. Now, the Pharisees, on the other hand, that's the scribes, the Pharisees, they were known for being experts on the so-called oral law. Okay, so the scribes, they were experts on the written law. The Pharisees came onto this scene, and we can argue about when this actually started, but they started a tradition known as the oral law. That's not the law that's written down. These were the laws, the rules that they made up. They were additions to Scripture. Our text calls this oral law the tradition of the elders in verses 3 and 5. Look at verse 3. It says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. That oral law, verse 5 again, brings it up. The Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Why don't they walk according to our rules? Something else we need to know about the Pharisees. They were all about obeying God. They were super zealous about making not only themselves, but everybody else obey the Bible, the Old Testament laws. Now, out of this zeal that they had for obeying Old Testament laws, they added to them. They added to Scripture rules that were supposed to safeguard a person from breaking those Old Testament laws. 
And these extra biblical rules, the tradition of the elders, is also again, as I've said, called the oral law. For example, God says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. That's what God's word says. What do they do? They came up with a list of ways in which you must honor the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. Another case in point, honor your, God, or honor your father and your mother. And they came up, that's what God's word says, but they would come up with a list of additional laws and regulations to make sure that you either honored your father and mother or could get around that through loopholes. It's wild. So, not only do they come up with rules for people to follow, they also policed the people to make sure they're following their rules. And that is what we find them doing this morning. They are policing Jesus' disciples who are breaking their rules, their additions to Scripture. Which brings us to verse 2. They, that is the scribes and the Pharisees, they saw that some of his disciples, and that's probably a reference to some of the 12 there, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is unwashed. His disciples were not ceremonially cleaning their hands before they ate. And according to the tradition of the elders, that was a huge no-no. And God could get really, really mad for the, at them for not cleaning themselves up. Verse 3 helps us to see that. Look at verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, so right now we can see how the Pharisees are influencing the Jews at this point. The Pharisees and all the Jews, the ones they're policing, they do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. So they had a proper way to do it, holding to the tradition of the elders. Again, I want to point out that this is not a violation of the Bible. This is a violation of their tradition. The laws that are found in the Old Testament are not nearly as strict when it comes to washing your hands. According to the Bible, unless you were a priest, the only time that you needed to wash your hands is if your hands came in contact with a bodily discharge. Now, I'm going to spare you the details of what a bodily discharge is. But it doesn't take too much imagination to understand that washing your hands after coming in contact with a bodily discharge, whether it's yours or someone else's, is a good idea. Verse 4. Now, in verse 4, he gives us some additional examples of these oral laws. Verse 4, when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. The word wash, very interesting. Baptizo, baptize themselves. When they come home from Walmart, they're not allowed to eat till they take a bath. 
a ceremonial religious bath, not to get rid of the germs, but to get rid of the sinful uncleanness that they picked up while they were at Walmart. Interestingly enough, archaeology, it confirms this for us. You look at Jewish homes during this time period, and they often had what we would call a bathtub. These holes in the ground that they would put rocks around and fill with water so that they could baptizo, clean themselves after coming in contact with things that are unclean. Verse 4 continues, and there are many other traditions, many other rules that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And though I studied what all these things are and how they wash them, I'm going to spare you of those details because it really does lend us off into what I think is an interesting rabbit trail, but not important. Well, we do need to come to realize at this point, because we're going to move on, is that we know what the scribes are. For all intents and purposes, they were Old Testament pastors. We know what the Pharisees are. These are people who are really committed to obedience, so much so they're willing to write all kinds of extra rules and live by them and make you live by them. And we know that those rules are called the tradition of the elders. So with this little background information, we can start to jump in to the meat of the matter of this text. Our second point this morning, I'm calling common commitments. Common commitments. You and I share many common commitments with the scribes and the Pharisees. Verse 5 says, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled, unclean hands? Here's the thing about these scribes and the Pharisees. No one can question their religious commitment They are absolutely committed to obedience. They want to obey God's law. And so they come up with a bunch of these extra rules to help them obey God's laws. And they hold themselves and they hold everybody else accountable to them. They're committed. So much so, they walk a 180-mile round trip to police Jesus and his disciples whom they find to be in violation. That's commitment. These scribes and these Pharisees, they live out their conviction. Nowadays, the church loves to pick on these guys. We love to look down our noses at them because we find it easy to judge them as hypocrites. And they are. They are hypocrites. Jesus plainly calls them hypocrites. But we think so poorly of the Pharisees that, at least in my mind, to call somebody a Pharisee is to call them a hypocrite. 
That's all we see is their hypocrisy. But here's what we're blind to. Here's the problem. We, Christians, today, have so much in common with these guys. Our commitments are very similar to their commitments. What did a Pharisee believe? They believed in the Bible. Again, all that, the Bible, all, that, all that was written of the Bible up to that point. They believed in the Bible. They possessed strong convictions about the Lord and about his truth. They emphasized obedience to him, to his word. They believed in the sovereignty of God, divine election, they believed in human responsibility. They believed in church discipline, so to speak. They, they believed in removing the unholy person from their midst. They, they literally wore passages of scripture on them in little boxes. We're a little bit different than them in this. Instead of wearing boxes, we just tattoo it on our skin they painted scripture on their walls, on their doorposts, on their gates. Today, we just go to Hobby Lobby and buy the stuff that's already painted, and we put it on our walls and our doorposts. They celebrated biblical holidays, much like we do. We celebrate Christmas and Easter. They separated themselves from the world. They, they didn't want contemporary culture to influence them or their children. So they definitely would have homeschooled their kids or sent them to BCS, except it would have been BJS, Billings Jewish Schools, right? <laughs> they memorized the Bible. They prayed. They taught their kids the scriptures. They tithed. They were committed to going to worship every week. You see, the Pharisees and Christians like you and I have a lot in common. We share common interests. They were so committed to their way of thinking about God, so committed to their personal convictions about the word, that they had the audacity to question Jesus. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Why don't they clean themselves up? Why do they eat with defiled hands? In other words, why don't your disciples believe like us? Practice faith like us. Act like us. Why are your disciples compromising our commitments? Don't you take God seriously? Which leads us to our third and final and most important 
point for this morning. Unmasking hypocrisy. Unmasking hypocrisy. In verse 6, And he, Jesus, said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God, and you hold to the tradition, the rules of men. Don't miss the fact that Jesus answers their question by calling them hypocrites, hypocrites and quoting scripture. What is a hypocrite? Well, Jesus defines it for us. He says, you honor God with your lips on the outside, but your heart, what's on the inside, is far from God. Therefore, your worship, all these little rules that you're following, that you think honor God, therefore your worship is vain. Your, your cleaning rituals are, are worthless. They're not worship. It's all for nothing. The word hypocrite, if you've been in the church, you know all this already, but the word hypocrite comes from Greek theater. Back when Greece ruled the, the known world, a hypocrite was an actor, a literal actor. An actor wore a mask when they performed. So this mask-wearing Greek I should say, these mask-wearing Greek actors, they were called hypocrites. And there was nothing derogatory about the term originally. But eventually, the word hypocrite changed. Now, it's used of those who are fake, who put on a metaphorical mask. You're acting like something you're not. You're a pretender. You're a fake. You're a fraud. And that is how Jesus is using the term here. You hypocrites. Since we have so much in common with these Pharisees, I think it's pretty important that we ask ourselves, what mask do they wear? What mask is Jesus staring at when he looks at these Pharisees? I mean, if we have so much in common, should we not be concerned about the masks? Now, a lot of times when you hear pastors talk about hypocrisy, something is said about coming to church all smiley and polished and put together when, in fact, your life is a wreck. You know, you've heard the story. You get in an argument with the spouse on the way here. You've yelled at the kids. You kick the dog. Not really. <laughs> you come to church and you smile and you pretend like everything's hunky-dory. Is that what Jesus is talking about here? 
It's not. Maybe you'll hear from the pastor, you know, something along the lines of singing worship songs with your lips, but not with your heart. I'll tell you, every time I've ever brought that up as a pastor, I just wanted the people to sing louder, which is hypocrisy. (laughs) Is that what Jesus is getting at here? Singing louder and with more of your heart? I don't think so. What's he talking about when we consider the context? He's talking about all the religious stuff that we do to try to make ourselves feel better, like we're accepted by God. He's talking about trying to clean yourself up, thinking that you can somehow scrub long enough, scrub hard enough to make you acceptable to a holy God. Friend, it doesn't matter how many times you wash your hands before dinner. It will never work to clean you before a holy God. You see, it's not until we recognize that we can never wash our hands enough. We can never clean up our foul mouth enough. We can never purify our perverted minds enough. We can never clean our greedy heart enough. We can never sing enough. We can never pray enough. We can never read our Bibles enough, meditate on it enough, go to church enough to ever make us clean on the inside. But this is precisely the kind of mask these Pharisees were putting on and wanting his disciples to put on. Look, God, I'm good enough. I did enough. I marked the boxes. I'm clean today. Bless me. And Jesus says, no. Church, we can never wash our hands enough. And we will never put down the scrub brush until we pick up Christ. You see, when we cling to Jesus with the arms of faith, he and he alone makes us clean. That's why we sing, nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross, I cling. And so he invites the hypocrites to put down the scrub brush and trust him to make you clean 
and acceptable in the sight of God. Here's the temptation. The temptation is for you to think I'm talking to unbelievers. Hypocrisy plagues the church. We have more in common with these Pharisees than we care to admit. What must you do? What rules must you follow? In what ways have you convinced yourself that you must be obedient in order to earn his acceptance? How do you wash your hands? What do you tell yourself that you have to do in order for you to be right with God? What deed must you perform? What spiritual discipline must you do? What sin must you avoid? What do you do? What have you convinced yourself of? If you do or don't do, it will earn God's smile. Gold star for the day. Do you know what these things are? They're masks. They're masks. When we trust in these behaviors, these behaviors become our mask and we pretend like an actor that our good behavior, our good deed, our avoidance of that sin has washed us clean enough to be acceptable to him today. What mask do you reach for and put on to make yourself feel like you scrubbed your hands long enough. If you look to anything other than Jesus Christ to make you clean, you're reaching for a mask. This might be a little confusing, and I want to be clear. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read you an excerpt from my personal journal this last week to hopefully illustrate the point that I'm making, but also to progress this point just a little bit farther. I write, Jeff... Is my Bible reading a mask? Okay, God, I got up this morning at 4.15 and I did the hard work while everybody else was sleeping. 
I good enough? Do I get your blessing today? I write as my scripture memory, a mask. Are my prayers a mask? Is my study a mask? Is my preaching a mask? Is my disciple making a mask? Is adopting orphans a mask? Is my daily discipline a mask? Or are they the power of God at work in me? Am I a hypocrite? There are absolutely times that I am a hypocrite. And I look to these things to somehow that I am good enough for God. And there are times when performing these things are absolutely the power of God at work in me. There are times that I reach for these things, the Bible reading, the prayers, the performance. There are times that I reach for these things to try to scrub myself clean and make me appear before God and you as better than I am. But there are also times when I reach for these things not to make myself clean, not to make myself look better, but because God has made me clean in Christ and his power and spirit compel me and they are transforming me to be more like Jesus. This, and in these moments, it is his power at work in me. Both are true. I play the hypocrite, and God's power is at work. You see, the temptation for me is to focus on one of these realities and not the other. If I focus only on the fact that God is at work in me, then I fail to own my hypocrisy and I neglect to choke it out of my life. This is where hypocrites love to live. Behind the mask that they're not a hypocrite. But might I say that the moment we deny that we struggle with hypocrisy, that in that moment we are actually validating that the hypocrisy is there because we refuse to accept it, to look at it, to own it. So if I only focus on the fact that God is at work in my life, then I'll never come under the light of the gospel 
and address the hypocrisy that is there. Mortify it. Kill it. But here's the other extreme. If I only focus on my hypocrisy, then I shrink in fear and anxiety. And I cower thinking that I'm a fraud. Dear believer, realize that Jesus cleanses you even of your hypocrisy. Believe it. Trust him. You see, it is only in light of the gospel and the grace that is found in the gospel that I can trust that both realities are true of me, that I am both the hypocrite. Oh, and I am his. Friend, this morning, Jesus meets us with difficult news. You're a hypocrite. But he meets us with the best news. He can clean it. So what we find ourselves this morning doing is rather important as we look at this text. Are we going to look at this text and think to myself, oh my goodness, I'm a hypocrite. And try to clean ourselves up? Or are you going to fall to your knees and say, oh my God, I am a hypocrite. But I look to Christ and Christ alone to cleanse me. Let us look to Christ. Let's pray. We thank you, O Lord, that the blood of Christ cleanses us even from hypocrisy. I pray, Lord, that now, having met with you through your word, that you would give us the faith to see that we too struggle with this, but that there is grace in Christ. Father, may you cut out the hypocrisy in our lives and may you replace it with your power, powerfully working in each one of us that we might read your word, commune with you through prayer, not in efforts to clean ourselves, but in moments knowing that we've already been made clean. And now we can enjoy you forever. Rescue us, O oh God. Amen. <laughs>